0: Welcome back to the Project Alchemy Podcast. Your hosts for today are Jack Considant and Namish Kaista. Our guest is Casey Adams. Casey is the host of The Casey Adams Show, where he's interviewed the likes of Larry King, Robert Green, Grant Cardone, Rick Ross, and many others. He's also a founder of MediaKits, a tech startup that helps creators present their analytics to sponsors. In this episode, we talk about pivoting from content creation to the startup world, finding opportunities where they don't currently exist, and the benefits of following your gut, when others around you might not believe in it themselves. Enjoy the wonderful, the brilliant, Casey Adams. So Casey, we're very excited to have you on today. Um, And the first question I kind of want to get started with off the bat is, you were one of my inspirations when it came to getting into personal development, getting into entrepreneurship, and uh, podcasting as a whole, and almost giving permission for a 16, 17-year-old to say, hey, I want to do this thing, it's possible. And so what was your initial... Entrance into this world, into podcasting, into entrepreneurship, like who or what introduced you to all these concepts?
1: Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you having me uh, on the show today, guys. I've been stoked about it and it's super cool to hear that coming from you. But, you know, really got me into this whole world of business and entrepreneurship at 15, 16 years old was sort of an injury that led to this obsessive nature of just discovering what it means to be an entrepreneur in business so when i was a sophomore in high school um got injured playing football i grew up an athlete played hockey for 10 years played lacrosse and sophomore year of high school that's when i got injured i was in a neck brace for six months almost paralyzed super depressed and it was during that six-month journey when i just stumbled down the rabbit hole of business and entrepreneurship mainly through Characters like Gary Vaynerchuk and Tony Robbins and these these online personalities that were talking about, you know, social media and building a personal brand and podcasting. And, you know, it wasn't an instantaneous thing for me, though, because I've always known I wanted to own a business. And I was always, you know, the young kid, as many entrepreneurs are that are selling like creating bracelets and selling them at school and doing lemonade stands when it snowed in Virginia, I'm, I'm shoveling driveways. So, you know, I've always had this drive to like go get it myself since oh, like, since as, long as, <clears throat> as young as I can remember. But the real shift happened when, again, when this injury occurred, I was stuck in my room for almost six months in school with a neck brace, again, depressed. And when I just found this rabbit hole of, of business and entrepreneurship, I was just obsessively curious about, you know, what I could do there. And I had this identity shift of someone who was an athlete to this empty pocket of the unknown that just slowly started overflowing with uh, curiosity and business, and you know that led to affiliate marketing, building a personal brand, and launching the podcast, and many, many, more things that we'll, we'll talk about today. But to your question, it was just an organic transition fueled by curiosity from a devastating injury that happened to me when I was 15 years old.
0: When you were in that depressive state, when you kind of went through that injury, I've heard you speak on it a a multitude of times. What was it like getting through the initial, like you mentioned it was an identity crisis because so many people identify themselves as an athlete for so long. And then when that snatched away from them in an instant, how did you deal with the fact that you had to crease a new identity out of nothing?
1: Yeah, I mean I think as as humans and as individuals and as entrepreneurs we all whether we know it or not now like we all identify as as something right whether that's I identify as a podcaster as the ceo of this company or as an athlete whatever it is like our our daily actions are tied to the identity of something a lot of the times that's your job or you know something you're extremely passionate about that you do every single day and for me it it didn't hit me right away because when the injury happened you know I'm 15 16 years old I ended up just getting angry at my parents, like why me, why me, playing the victim card. And I think what allowed me to slowly recreate this identity um, was just allowing myself to immerse myself in something new. I think a lot of times, especially as I as I've gotten older, I'm 22 now, you you really start to see a lot of people get stuck in their ways, right? Whether that's your siblings or your parents or your friends, like doing the same thing sometimes where to to take a step back and to accept change, whether that's changing into a new career, or changing, um, you know, into a new relationship. Like I think I was just someone who embraced that change so much, where I just became obsessive in terms of, you know, I'm ordering all these business books. I'm I'm starting to launch my personal brand. I'm putting out content, and I didn't even really know what it would lead to, but it just felt right. And I was, I just wanted to experiment. And I think that in over that initial six month period of time from like mid 2016 to early 2017, when these opportunities started coming up, um, is really when I I felt the shift of my identity where I got invited, I got invited to speak at this event in San Diego when I was uh, 16 by my good friend, Caleb Maddox went out to San Diego. It was the first time I was ever in California. I flew my dad out. And the only reason I could go is because initially my parents said, no, you can't go. And then I booked a plane ticket for my dad and I from the affiliate marketing money. I was, excuse me, that I was making. And when I went out to that event and was in this room with incredible entrepreneurs that I was following on social media, it was really in that moment of wow. You know, I'm in California for the first time. I'm at this incredible event. I'm speaking on stage about like young. Oops, sorry about that. Speaking on stage about young entrepreneurship and. Oops, sorry. Sorry, can you can you guys still see me? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You're good. We are all good. Sorry, one second. I don't know why. Sorry, you might have to cut this part out. You guys, <laughs> no, you're all good. Left for my screen. There we go. All right. Sorry about that. Um, When I was at that event in California, it really hit me where when I got home, I was just fueled with this new energy of, wow, I'm at this event. I met some great people. Let me just embrace this momentum. And I think that's occurred in my life so much, whether that's when I started the podcast, when we were initially fundraising for my startup media kits to recently getting acquired, like finding that momentum and just embracing it is The key, because at at the end of the day, like we can all have ambitions, we can all have plans, but you just have to, you know, figure out how to get to where you want to go by testing things. And if you find something that works, like I, that's when I really went all in. And for me, as you said at the beginning of the show, um, the podcast really allowed me to a build phenomenal relationships. When you know, starting at 17, when I started the show after reading one of Gary V's books, and I just really embraced that. I did 60 interviews in 90 days, and that just I felt so much momentum and passion towards this avenue of podcasting that I went all in on that, knowing that in the next two, three, four years, I wanted to go raise capital for a venture, that I wanted to um, tap into these relationships and not only get advice from people, but, you know, if there was a deal that came up or I wanted to start a company to embrace that and, and utilize these people in my network in a positive way. And, you know, when we now launched Meek, it it's back in 2021 that was for me a, a lot of that was a manifestation of really the seeds I've been planting since I was 17 years old when I started the podcast for the relationships that I was building and again, to the initial question though, um, like when did I identify that shift? It just happened organically over time, but then I really embraced it when you know I started putting out content. I started um, just sharing my story. And I knew what I wanted. I wanted to build a personal brand. I wanted to interview incredible entrepreneurs and build a network and you know launch a company, raise money and um, you know I just kept at it every day. you know I didn't go to college. I moved across to Arizona from Virginia when I graduated high school like a month after with friends and I just went all in on it and that for me was the, uh, the clear path that took some years of convincing to my parents and myself and, and the people around me but I just went with my gut and it's, it's paid off so far.
2: Oh, it's, that's really interesting. And like, thanks for telling us about that. But I was really curious just to hear about, um, you have this, like you touched upon this idea of a goal versus like an anti-goal. Like you're going kind to of beat around the bush of that. You were like, I know what I wanted. Um, but you also just from the past eight minutes, <laughs> um, or I guess you was like 20 minutes, seem like the kind of person who, really thinks that if they put their mind to it, they could do anything um, or they could like make it like if they are able to actually go all in on it. Um, and so when you're given so many options in the creator economy for what you want to do next, and especially even in the startup world, right? Um, there are so many great ideas out there all the time, um, especially maybe in the past 20 years. So when you have all those options, how do you decide what you want to do and like go all in on that? Um, and even like you touched upon, like, um, convincing yourself and your parents, right? Like, yeah, you made the decision, but you're still sitting yourself in the mirror and you're like, shit, like, did I make the wrong decision? How did you get over both of those hurdles?
1: Yeah, no, I think that something so simple and, you know, cliche in a way is start being comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And, you know, I, you, we've all heard that maybe from a book or someone talking, but it's true. And I think that, that was such an important quote or saying for me when I was in high school where I just wanted to do everything that made me uncomfortable, whether that was, you know, skipping a couple of days of school, to going out and speaking on stage, to starting a podcast and reaching out and cold pitching someone like someone, like all the things that I haven't done previously that allowed me to step inside that you know new, uh, that new individual. And, and really into that comf- that uh, out of my comfort zone. That's when I've noticed real change and, you know, I always talk about the hardest sale I've ever had to make in my life is allowing my parent, uh, me selling my parents on letting me skip school to go to California or go to these different events because that was a period in my life that I think whether you're young, listening to the show and still in school, or you're older and you know you're an adult, there's there's so much truth in that and there's a lesson in that where. Sometimes the people around you they they might love you and they want the best for you, but you really just have to do what, with what and make a decision on what you believe is right for yourself. And you might fail. And I knew that, you know, when I'm graduating high school and I had these ambitions to initially go to college and play lacrosse, to then switching that all up and switching all that up in a year, two year time, like, I was very self aware that you know, 99% of startups fail, and this is a very uncharted path. But I think that self belief and that confidence and the simple idea of just not giving up, period, is very um, underappreciated, right? Like, some people, a lot of people ask me, like, oh, like, what's, what have you learned over the years of interviewing all these people? And one thing that I always say is just people never quit, they never stopped. And through the hardships to the most, you know, the highest levels of success, it's just the simplicity of, Getting into that area where you're not comfortable uh, creates that change. And I, and I know I'm just kind of going back and forth on a couple of things right now. But for me, that's that's really uh, some of the important lessons that I believe have allowed me to make that change initially when I was having to sell myself, having to sell my parents, and
0: really just take that leap of faith. Let's go back to that 17, 18-year-old Casey um, when you were first kind of going to California, living the high life, seeing what you wanted to do. Uh, It seems like you mentioned selling yourself to others when you're that young. Like what was the day to day like for you? Because I think there's a little bit of a misconception on uh, what was Casey doing then and also uh, how you were able to gain the respect of others that were successful. We can get into the Ty Lopez story, the Grant Cardone, we can get into all those things, but how were you able to um, convince others of your worth and what were you doing day to day at that time?
1: Yeah. You know, I think really when I was 17, I started my podcast for, for everyone that's listening in December, 2017. And like prior to that, it was just trying a lot of different things. Like one of the first kind of business ventures that I was experimenting with was affiliate marketing. There was this email marketing platform and it was, you know, like a $39 a month subscription and you'd make 15 bucks a month subscription. And I had this Snapchat community that was initially like 50 people, a hundred people, 500 people, a thousand people that I was just doing daily like book reviews. I was posting all these books that I was ordering and that I was reading and sort of making like a spark style and all these Snapchat groups and forums. And in terms of like a day-to-day prior to the podcast, it was just hustling in a way where I wanted to build community, find this niche. I didn't have really much to talk about. So I wanted to share wisdom and you know things I was learning. That was my initial game plan of someone that hasn't started a business that doesn't really have any connections. And over time, leading into the podcast, um, how, I, how I really was able to move from Virginia to California and what that opportunity was, where it was, I was doing a lot of Facebook advertising for local businesses in my area in Virginia. So my dentist, my chiropractor, my sports shop that I was going to since I was eight years old and sung them on the idea of, you know, let me run your social media accounts, your Instagram, your Facebook and run some Facebook ads to it. It was very like basic at the time. And to to that point you brought up like I learned that and was in these you know Ty Lopez programs that talked about social media marketing and that led to doing that for personality brands and people that are looking to build a following and doing these viral videos on YouTube and building helping them build an audience that way and then a couple client two clients of mine um, one day we had this idea to acquire this Instagram page called Build Your Empire which then we built a media company out of there while I was also doing a podcast, which was like my main front-end personal brand. And the podcast led to the Build Your Empire, which led to moving to Arizona for two years, doing all these incredible live events in Arizona, and really just building a media company while I'm also building the podcast. And like for me, the podcast was always the North Star, right? Because I think there's a simple difference of you know your personal brand and what you're building there, and then just the companies you build. And that you've seen that time and time again, and the importance of that. so many founders out there where you know there's great companies that you know of that you might not know the founder that's phenomenal right but then on the flip side what gary V has always talked about which i believe long term (coughs) every season we see it now founder is your personal brand is so important and so many opportunities can come from that right like look at shark tank for example they're 13 seasons in and all the sharks are so powerful in their own brand sense that for me, like staying in my lane as an individual and doing the podcast and going from it being Rise of the Young to the Casey Adams show um, was always and what can always be important to me, even if, you know, sometimes I don't go, I go a month without posting. Sometimes I'm doing one or two a week. For me, it's never been about necessarily uh, to be the biggest show in the world, but to have this vehicle and this outlet of conversation where I can build relationships. Um, but, you know, when I was 17, my day-to-day was just, I guess you could simplify it and just be hustling, right? Like I was trying to get to the next interview. I was then having clients that I was doing Facebook advertising and, and working with a a couple, you know, part time employees to help manage all of the clients. And that was a phenomenal base of testing and learning and networking, which led to you know the media company, the live events, and then eventually down the line to media kits, which really was an idea since 2018 that my business partner. Kieran and I had when I was still in high school, um, for the next question, I'll I'll tell this quick story for media kids. So it was Kieran and I were in high school. One of our good friends he's a big automotive YouTuber. And we, I met them because the day I got back from Ty Lopez's house after he flew me out when I was 16, uh, Kieran saw this live stream of Ty and I, uh, on Instagram. And I was like, yeah, I'm 16. I'm from Virginia. Kieran reached out, invited me to this car show. We met Jeff. And then months later, Jeff reached out to Kieran and myself saying, hey, uh, Pennzoil reached out to me and they asked me for my media kit. Can you send me one? And at the time, we didn't know what a media kit was. So we ended up making him one on Canva or Photoshop and sent it to him and he got the brand deal. And then two, three weeks later, he comes back to us and was like, hey, guys, Ferrari contacted me. They asked me for my media kit. Can you go update it for me? All my numbers are outdated. I want to change it and customize it. So that's really when we asked ourselves, you know, why isn't there a way for creators to create a media kit with real-time data and analytics? And then the flip side, why isn't there a way for brands to view trusted and verified creator data? And at the time, we were both young. I was, you know, he was starting his marketing agency. I was doing the podcast and just being, you know, hustling at the time. And we shelved the idea. And fast forward to 2021, when, when now we're both in Arizona, we're roommates, COVID comes around, TikTok's blowing up. We sort of revisited the idea and ended up initially bootstrapping it for six months. And then early 2021, uh, went out to go raise a round of funding and launch it. And it was just a very natural transition, but to the point of like, what was I doing when I was 17, I was planting seeds, right? Every DM, every interview, every event I went to, everything I was doing, I know I wasn't looking for a, you know, overnight outcome or, you know... Like I wanted to build relationships to build a long-term career because at the foundation of everything that I was doing. It was how can I meet great people and be valuable to them through my platform or connecting them with others or hosting events and giving them a platform to speak. And I think that's your question, Jack, as well. How did I gain the respect of others? It was, I never tried to be the guy that was talking about, what I've done. It was about being someone who was curious about being someone of value about providing a platform for others to share their story on mainly through two vehicles, the podcast and then the live events. And I think that allowed me to really zone in on my skills and again, provide a platform for me to go launch media
0: kits. So it seemed like a lot of your expertise and what you've been able to do has been in the event space, a lot of speaking, um, podcasting, what, what have you. And so you have a lot of experience with managing both your network, but also leveraging it in a positive way, and creating lasting friendships and relationships. I've seen uh, you grow from just being the guy that was hanging out with Ty Lopez and interviewing Grant Cardone to going to crazy events, going to Las Vegas, hanging out with the wind, doing these awesome things with these amazing, incredible people in our industry. Um, and so, if you were to do this now, if you were starting from square one, what would be Casey's play? of leveraging your networks how would you get into the events nowadays what would be your play to uh, whether it be a speaker an attendee get into cahoots with some people like how would you go about that nowadays because things change a little bit um what's your new play
1: yeah you know if i was if i was 16 17 now i think what um one of my favorite podcasts is my first million i'm sure you guys are familiar with it um so one thing that they have done that i think I would be doing right now if I was 16, 17, just starting over, is find a hot podcast show, whatever it may be, and learn how to create content at scale for someone for free. Deliver it to them in a cold email and do that over and over and over and over and over again to people you admire and want to learn from. And I believe you'd be surprised the amount of value and potential you know, money-making opportunity that would s- simply come from that. If you wanted to go network and be someone that you know maybe doesn't have a a company, but you want to go learn skills and meet great people, like yes, podcastings are out, but B is just. You know, there's so many people that are hiring editors, and I think with my first million, what they did was like, "Hey, create clips for us." And the person that gets the most views on a TikTok channel will give you five grand. So, like figuring out that game, because I think short form content is not only exploding at an accelerating rate, but all the platforms are competing for that right now. Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, obviously TikTok, um, where I think that all of that in the next one, two, three years, it will really You'll, we're going to find a winner of what's most important. All of them will be important, but I think there's a huge opportunity for someone young to learn you know, editing and be extremely valuable to people that are looking for content. And I think that's what I would be doing if I was to go back four or five years in this current social media period with all these platforms competing.
2: Um, so, yeah. Yeah, my question to you is... is um, go ahead. Oh, Dave. sorry. Okay, sorry. My question to you guys is um, if you... So you're talking about, like, the short-form content. Um, I think a lot of creators struggle with translating that into, like, uh, something more tangible. So we, like, we know, like, Jack and I have interviewed or just talked to a lot of creators um, who have, quote-unquote, blown up on TikTok. Or even if they haven't blown up, they have a relatively consistent following. But, like, translating that into something more tangible has been really difficult. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, just
1: having a following and turning that into, let's say like a a business or a startup, is that what you're asking?
2: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: I I think for me, like to get into tech and media kits a little bit and, you know, building a company, hiring employees and, you know, for me making that transition of not just being service-based and, You know, doing events and doing podcasts and doing brand deals, all this stuff, to launching a startup, raising $1.5 million and then selling it 11 months later, almost 12 months later. You know, those are two different lanes. And I think for me, I've always known I've wanted to go down that path, but it was just figuring out the right vehicle, the right company. And with media kits, you know again, to planting seeds. I always knew I wanted to launch a tech startup. And that was always in my mind, right? We're all on all all these tech platforms. I remember seeing Riverside come up and I'm like, wow, that'd be really cool. I wanted to launch some podcasting tool back in 2020 that led organically to shifting my time and attention back to Media Kits when Kieran and I, my co-founder, really looked at ourselves and said, you know, no one's built this product um, and I, I think that we have a, a vision for it that no one else is seeing. And then fast forward, we launched in August, 2021. And you know now um, there's a couple dozen media kit tools and you know, like me, uh, YouTube has a media kit tool. Instagram is launching a media, media kit tool. And not to say like we created that in any sense, like media kits have been around for a long time. But there was really no go-to real-time data media kit tool before we launched it in August of 2021. And to see the impact that we've had on the creator economy and the 25,000 plus creators that are using our tool, it's been a whole different game. And and to your point, a whole different uh, journey that I've been going down these past almost two and a half years now. But I think the the transition just came from commitment, right? I, I think going back to the idea of identity, when Kieran and I were start when we were starting Medikits like we had to make a real decision. Right, this is all we're doing. We're gonna go raise a round of capital. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna go hire incredible engineers and bring this product to market. And there's it's hard to do that. It, quite frankly not smart to do that unless you're fully committed to it, right? So for us, and I think a huge reason why MediKids was was successful in a very short period of time was we just zoned in on it. We took all of our relationships and our time and effort and focused on one critical mission because we knew A, the product can impact hundreds and thousands and millions of creators one day, which we're very passionate about, but it was a unique opportunity and the, and the timing was perfect with you know creators being minted overnight, the creator economy booming, Creator economy fundraising was at an all-time high, twenty 2020 twenty into twenty twenty-one, and we just capitalized on the problem at hand and wanted to solve that core issue of real-time creator data. And again, like we didn't—I didn't know how to raise capital, but it was having phenomenal people around me. And I always um, make sure that I give a huge shout out to not only one of my mentors but someone that I look to as a brother. His name's Aristotle Loomis. He's—he's um, he's someone that truly helped the entire step of the way uh through ideation to fundraising to acquisition when it comes to how do we fundraise how do we accept the capital like what are the right instruments to use and and i like talking about this because you know i didn't know that at all right like you learn as you go but it's 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 important to have great people around you that you can call at 11 at night when an investor asks a question and you're like hey how do i handle this right or hey we want to accept capital. What's the best way to do so? And, and of course, you can Google it and, and make assumptions. But having people that have been through the ringer, like Aristotle, he's raised almost a hundred million dollars across his ventures, and having him a phone call away, a text away, uh, leading to like a Telegram chat that we're communicating with and fifty times a day on. Like without that, like I don't think we would have been as successful as we have been. So I, I say all that to say. You know when you're looking to make a change or or change directions or go down that new journey and whatever it is find mentors and we all hear this before but i've learned it so much firsthand the past year and a half moving into tech that finding mentors that you can ask questions to and just be on that journey with will not only make it easier but you will avoid paying the dummy tax of trying to do it all yourself and to have to learn everything yourself and i think that you know we all know these things but actually putting in the, the actions and effort to build quality relationships with mentors for them actually to help you and to be a part of something with you is very important and, and something that I always ensure to you know tell people that are looking to make a dramatic change in their life and go down a new path.
0: I'm super passionate about the, the mentor conversation because I'm a big believer of not only having a mentor for business, but having a mentor for all years of your life and having one might be more of a startup mentor and someone who has experience there. One might be uh, one of those connection driven people. They're the glue guy, the one that knows everybody you need to know. Mm-hmm. There's all these different types of mentors. Um, and so what's your relationship been with mentorship? Um, like we mentioned Ty Lopez and um, Aristotle, and how have you been able to not only find those individuals to add to your network and to um, seek counsel from, but how have you been able to turn those into long lasting relationships that have been mutually beneficial?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I used to ask myself the same that same question when I was sixteen, right? You hear, you know, you your network is your net worth, like find a mentor, find a mentor. And I was always like, How do you find a mentor? And really what I have learned and what I want to put out there over the, from these last five years of networking and, and now having so many great mentors in my life is that you can't force it, right? Like I've done hundreds of interviews with incredible founders that I, yes, still have relationships with, but for example, like something about Aristotle, it was just so natural in terms of the timing, what he wanted in life in terms of being a coach to founders and just going through this, this process himself. Like he wanted to be the the shepherd of someone that's looking to start something new and, and someone that's young. And I think that finding a mentor in multiple areas in your life should be natural And it should be of mutual interest, right? Like if if you want to learn from someone, you hope that they want to teach you or they want to, you know, help you in the same way. And uh, I think paying for mentors is also a a phenomenal thing to do, right? If someone's offering their time and there's all these awesome consulting apps out there um, where you can pay someone to learn something and ask them questions, I think that's also extremely valuable because you're valuing that conversation more than you would if, you know, if they just picked up the phone and you guys were back and forth for 15 minutes. And I, and I've done that as well, but finding a mentor come natural, but you should always come in with the intention in every relationship to hopefully learn something from them. Right. Like I I have a, a personal trainer that I work out with three days a week, and I'm always asking questions and, and wanting to learn about, you know, how I'm doing a certain exercise and how I can improve. And I, again, I know we, we've all probably heard this all the time, but Ask yourself, like, am I living that, right? And every conversation I'm having with others, whether that's my family, my friends, my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my, you know, whatever it may be, am I actually being curious and wanting to learn from them? Because you can learn from everyone around you, right? And, and I think that's so undervalued because, you know, everyone wants to learn from the, the people at the top. But one thing that Tai Lopez said when I was just really understanding this whole game, he says – you know, you have to surround yourself with three types of of people, people that are well beyond your years that you can learn from, that you just want to soak in information. 33% of the time, you want to learn from people that are, you know, on your level, your age, doing similar things, similar interests. And then on the flip side, learn 33% of the time from people that are younger than you, that don't have as much experience, that are maybe, you know, just getting started. And I think that Someone like Gary Vaynerchuk has embraced that, where he's always on the new things early, right? He's he's always figuring out how to penetrate the the youth and to be a current. And I think that that goes to that bucket of the bottom thirty three of just staying young and, and being very conscious of learning from people that uh, you know can teach you something. So that's how I look at it in terms of mentorship, um, and, and it's a lifelong play, right? I, I think that you don't just find a mentor and that's your mentor for life, right? Like you're going to have, as you said, mentors for everything in, in different verticals. Some will come, some may go, but being curious and wanting to learn from people all around you, I think is the overarching theme that I try to live by every single day. And I, it's, I'd say it's done wonders for me.
2: Yeah. I think that's the right way to approach, approach like most relationships in life too. Um, even just beyond mentorship, right? Um, I've been, I was talking to some friends about this. I feel like, um recently i realized a lot of people tend to like um prematurely claim ownership over other people right so like my relationship with jack like he's my friend right or like a girlfriend like she's my girlfriend right um and that makes it so that like inevitably when life splits or like maybe maybe it won't maybe it does right but like when you split ways or something you end up being like damn like that was my like that was my podcast co-host and now he's like doing some other shit without me, you know? Um, but I guess once you start appreciating just people being there for you in that moment and that's all, that's all it is, you get to appreciate that moment a lot more and afterwards too. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, and I was like, I was also just like thinking, um, and I was curious to your perspective on, uh, going like circling back to this whole like mentorship idea. Um, so there's this book that jack and i are both reading uh it's called the third door um and basically the author is talking about the idea of building a pipeline to find uh, people that you want to speak to um and so like i'm curious how like i know you kind of respond like uh going on dms um but what are kind of your quote-unquote third door strategies for building a pipeline if that makes sense
1: absolutely so very familiar with the book i am actually i've had alex Benayan, the author on my show right when he published it actually back i think like 2019 and That's awesome. that book has actually impacted me very much because one of his mentors that i believe see there, like his names on the cover or on the back is larry king and i read that book before i interviewed larry king and i remember alex talking about a story where he's like Larry King, he saw Larry King coming out of a store or going down the street, and he like chased him down and, and wanted to talk to him and he just wanted to get his information and to interview him, whatever it may be. And I, I don't remember exactly, but Larry King um, like shoved him off, shoved him off, but he kept running into him because he, he was creating these opportunities to do so. And I I I thought about that book in a very special moment in my life when. Um, sort of the, the, the story of how I interviewed Larry King, it was sort of three phases where um, I was at the mall here in, in LA in Century City and I'm walking around the corner and I just see Larry King like, go right by me in his wheelchair. And this was a week after I actually had dinner with his son, unintentionally. I was at a dinner with uh, Tilma Fertita and all these awesome influencer creators and for people that don't know, Tillman Fertitta is the owner of the Rockets, owner of Mastro's, like, billionaire, incredible guy. So I had him on my podcast to talk about his book. That led to me going to this dinner, uh, and my good friend, business partner, Kieran, sat next to Chance King, Larry King's son. We hit it off We became good friends. And then the following week later, Larry King's rolling in his wheelchair right by me in the mall. And in that moment, and again, this I'm telling this story because I think there's so much value in how humans can make decisions and what opportunities they either create or prevent for themselves. So, you know, he comes by me and he's with two, three people and he's an older guy. He's 86, 87 at the time. And I could really do one of three things. I could one, I could just see that and ignore it and go on with my day. Two, I could maybe go up to him and, and have a conversation or three. I just, you know, I think this is the most important one. Just live with regret from, maybe thinking I should have went and then didn't go. But I ended up going up to him because I remember this story from Alex in the book, The Third Door, of just going up for Larry King. And it hit me in that moment. So go up to him. I I tell him that I met his son the following week. And that was what really led to me continuing to build a relationship with Chance, led to him coming on my show in, in late 2019. And I think to the whole point of your question, though, building that pipeline, in order for me to be in the room with Tillman Fertitta, you know, owner of the Rockets to have him on my podcast. I think I did, you know, 250 interviews prior to having the opportunity to have Tillman on the show. And in terms of, you know, building that pipeline, I had to probably send out a thousand, 1500, 2000 messages to get those initial 250 guests to then have the opportunity to meet Chance King, which then led me to interview Larry King, which for me is one of my, you know, one of the most special days of my life, uh, an incredible interview that I'll always look back on. And the pipeline started when I was 16, right? Like every DM you get back to, every person you reach out to, to have you on the podcast, every person you go up to and meet at an event, like all those things might not make sense, or you might not feel the initial uh, return on that time investment. But for me, and as I continue to do, is just make investments in people, connections, relationships. Be of value to them. Of course, you can't do that at scale with thousands and thousands of people, but like be intentional about doing things that you can look back on and say, wow, the dots connected. And maybe that's not happening right now for others, but as soon as it does happen for you, don't slow down with that. And for me, that's always been super important in terms of continuing to build that pipeline, continuing to meet new people, and, and also valuing and, and build relationships with the people that I've already met that are in my life. So again, love that book, love that story. And I've, I feel like that book has really impacted me well beyond just that moment because the idea of the third door um, is very, very incredible. And if there's anyone out there that hasn't read it, I would highly recommend it. And, and Alex is incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, right now I'm on my third time listening to that book. I every time <laughs> gain so much out of it. I, I really love it. Uh, my question for you, Casey, is you've met some incredible people, um, including Grant Cardone, and so we don't have to go through the whole story. But I had a I wanted to ask you about meeting your idols, because a lot of these people, I'm sure, when you got into entrepreneurship, these are the the Mount Rushmore guys, the Gary V, <laughs> the Grant Cardone, whoever it may be. These are people that most teenagers that are like, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. Those that's who they look up to. So. What is it like for you meeting your idols? Do they live up to the hype? Um, and how do you deal with the the starstruck moment of saying, "I'm worth this person's time and I'm worth the conversation we're about to have"?
1: Yeah, I, I think that I think that everyone has their idea and thought process of what it would be like to meet someone you you know someone that's your idol or someone that you admire, and I think that over time your your perspective on that changes, especially for me, where, you know, when I first met Ty Lopez, like the context of my life was, I was 16. I was in high school, living in Virginia. I have really never traveled on, on an airplane before. I come from a small town. Uh, my parents have never been to California and, and I go there meeting him like, excited and excited to have a conversation with him. But there's never been a point or a moment where I haven't, had the the self-confidence to want to go up to someone and, and talk to them and and you know haven't felt worthy of their time i think that meeting people that you admire should be something that we all uh strive for in any area of life right like if you see someone that you admire at the gym that's completely jacked and you're like wow i admire what he's built and done physically like go up to him and ask him a question and I think that like going back to like my rule of curiosity and what that means, I think that just flipping the script on, you know, your idols um, and going up to them and wanting to have that conversation should be emphasized more rather than thinking and putting people on a pedestal, thinking like, oh my God, they're too good for me. And oh my God, what if I say something stupid? Like embrace that uncertainty and and that, you know, fear at times of, you know, if you see one of your Idols walking down the street, your your heart's gonna raise, and you might feel some type of way, like "Oh my gosh, should I say something? Should I not?" But the alternative is always the the truth for and you know true for me, where I've had moments where I see someone, I'm like, "Wow, I would love to talk to them. I'd love to have my podcast. I'd love to say hello," and I did it. And then that moment passes, and you know you can't recreate that exact moment in time. So I think that meeting your idols and putting yourself in a position to have conversations with people that. You admire um, should be embraced. And when I first started doing that, you know, it was nerve wracking, but I embraced it and I, I wanted to grow into the type of person where that just became my norm. And what you really realize, and as everyone, whatever you say, whatever says, everyone's just a human, right? Like we all have our problems. We all have stuff going on in life and we're all just striving to be better. And some of the most famous and successful people are just like us, right? They sit down with you. They have a conversation. Yes, they can be busy and have all of these companies. But if you kept someone in an intimate moment where they're open and willing to have a conversation like a podcast, uh, especially like the pre-interview before, the, before you start the show and you just chat with them, it's just it's very natural, especially if you're someone that's curious and, and wanting to be there in that conversation.
0: Uh, what you're saying reminds me of another thing from The Third Door, um, from one of Alex's mentors, um, Elliot Bisnow. And he described how, whenever he met somebody that was ultra successful, he never asked for a picture with them, which is somewhat controversial because he said, "The minute you ask for the picture, you become a fan, and when you become a fan, you're putting that person on a pedestal, and it, they're never brought back down. It's hard to bring them back down to your level, so that your friends, your mutuals, your peers, and it's an interesting dynamic because I think uh, if someone's taking a picture with you and them." It's okay, but sometimes the act of like, can you please take a picture with me? It may seem sometimes like it's that uh, fan type behavior that makes it so that one person is put on a pedestal um, above the other.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I also think so. Th- this is a this is a recent story that I've actually never told, but to like coming right out of that question, I think it's so true because I think m- when you meet people, right, especially people that you know maybe have some influence and power or success. Yeah, you want to get your picture. And I've done that over the years many times. But I've also not taken pictures with hundreds of people because of the context, right? And I think the context, whether it comes to meeting people or bringing up a conversation or asking a question or, you know, figuring out the right timing to ask them to be on the podcast, like there's all context around that. And I can't quantify that exactly, you know, what that means in a sense, but this is the story that I wanted to tell as an example, right? So I was in Hawaii like five weeks ago and I was staying at this uh, hotel and the last night before my girlfriend and I were about to go back to LA, you know, we're about to head to the airport. We go to the spa where you can do a cold plunge, You can do a Hasana, a shower, whatever. So we wanted to go there. There's the men's locker room and the girls locker room. Walk in the men's room and like way down the hallway, I see this figure that looks like MGK, the musician, Right. And I didn't know if it was him. I thought it was, but, you know, I'm not going to say something to him, right? So I walk out. Whoever the person was who I thought was MGK was in the steam room. I just ended up getting a hot tub. And five minutes later, he walks out. I see it's MGK. And I just say, you know, hey, MGK, nice to meet you. I'm good friends with your buddy, Dingo, who, Dingo, if you don't know, he's a professional snowboarder, a former professional snowboarder, someone that I've known for years now that I've had on the podcast. He's, I've been on their podcast and there was context there that I wanted to say hello and introduce myself. And he gets in uh, the cold plunge and gets right out after like 30 seconds or so. Oh, sorry about that. So he gets in the cold plunge, gets back in the sauna. And then I get in the cold plunge shortly after, cause I was about to get in there myself. And I go in there and sit in there for five minutes. And after I sit in there for five minutes, cause I love cold plunges and it's just a, it's a mental game for me. And I get back in the hot tub and then literally 10 seconds later, MGK walks out of the steam room. He's like, bro, how did you just do that for five minutes? And then he actively comes and gets in the hot tub with me. It's just us two like kicking it back there. And we end up having a 15, 20 minute conversation and he's asking me about cold plunge and you know, how I've, Gain the skills to do that for five minutes when he's just learning the game, and I end up helping him get to a minute, and we're just hitting off. Ivan and you know that's not a moment where you ask someone for a picture or you know just you just have to be natural and organic. And I, and I wanted to tell this story, and again I've never told it before because I think on the conversation we're having when you meet people, a you have to understand that everyone is just human, as mentioned before, but you have to have context in a situation of what's appropriate and and more so just understand human relationships, right? And that led to us just having a phenomenal conversation about what I do and, you know, him on tour and health and cold plunges and working out and all these different things. And that was just through being organic and, you know, having a, a good conversation. And I think that story, to your point of knowing when to take a picture and when to meet someone, just always um, – go in with curiosity and, and have no expectations, but be willing to say hello. I think that is such an underappreciated skill set of uh, whether that's someone in the elevator or walking by them on the street, like very simple things in life can bring you so far if you just like build them into your daily life and your daily habits, something as simple as saying hello, having context and be willing to be curious and, and learn about others and what they're doing.
2: Around this whole, um idea of meeting your idols or meeting people who you might put on a pedestal i wanted to ask you um about dreaming big in a small town so you're like i grew up in a small town moved out and you're like first time on a plane going to la um and jack and i did not grow up in a small town for sure but uh we grew up in the midwest and the midwest mentality definitely settles in on you of like okay like just do this. <laughs> like, uh, I, uh, we had a guest on, Will Batite, he always jokes with us that uh, everyone in the Midwest had a dream and then gave up on it later in life. Um, <laughs> and so, I, I was kind of wondering, how were you able to think way out the box? Because even Jack and I feel that pressure to not do this and just stop. Um, or I, I can't speak for Jack, but I do 100%. Um, and we didn't necessarily grow up in a small town Like small-town america um so i was curious how you were able to move out of that
1: yeah that's a great question and i think you know it's it's not easy right like being from somewhere wherever you're from and just doing something that's different even people like i know people in new york and la that their their goal is to go live in a small town and, and get out of a big city life. And that's like what they want to do. But it's like, oh, my family's here and I grew up in this big city. Like, what would I be doing? But I think for me, dreaming big and being from a small town, you know, I, I came from a place where I have, I'm the youngest of three brothers. Both of my brothers went to college. They ended up dropping out. My parent, my mom's been a special ed teacher for 12 years now. My dad's worked at a, a cigarette tobacco company, Philip Morris for 30 years. And I, I didn't have any perspective of entrepreneurship, business, you know, living in a big city, traveling at all, right? Like I didn't fly in a, a plane until I paid for the ticket myself when I was like 16, 17 when I was going to LA, for, uh, California for the first time. And I think that what allowed me to even have that perspective shift of thinking big, but believing what's possible is just surrounding myself whether in a digital format, like on social media, which I think is great in so many ways. Yes, there's a lot of bad stuff on there, but there's a lot of awesome, incredible, inspiring content out there. Um, That just surrounding yourself with people that change your perspective on what's possible, especially from a a youth perspective, right? Like Jack, maybe as you said at the beginning of the show, like the content I was putting out there was like, oh, wow, this young kid has a podcast and he's interviewing great people. Epic, that's possible. It's similar to me where my, my friend Caleb Maddox, he was 14, I was 15 or 16. He published a book. He's speaking on all these stages. He's on stage with Tony Robbins and all this cool stuff. And I'm like, wow, like how? That's possible? And I think that finding friends or people that you can follow that just continue to allow you to have that perspective is very powerful because the moment you cut off the the thought process of, you know, oh, that could be possible to, oh, I should listen to the people around me. Oh, maybe it's not for me. You're just, you're already believing it. And therefore, like the outcome will match that, right? Like the people that dream big. Yes, some people may fail along the way, but those are the people that eventually with consistency and persistence will be successful. And again, there's a lot of cliches and, you know, things that are said like that, but it's the truth. People that dream big are the only people that will ever have big outcomes in life, right? If you if you think small and think you can't do something, the, the alternative is you're not going to probably do what you want to do because you think it's not possible. And I think, uh, you know, a quote that I love is whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And that simple saying is something, again, one of those quotes that I've embraced that I love saying and love, you know, looking in the mirror because you know, to, to get vulnerable, right? Like as someone that's raising capital for a startup and looking to go start a tech company and raise money, of course there's uncertainty of like, oh my God, like this is exciting and exhilarating and fun and there's a lot of pressure, but let's go do this. And we're just simply not going to give up. We're going to keep pushing. And, you know, embracing that I think is very powerful, but most importantly, surrounding yourself with people that inspire you, that continue to level up your mindset on, what to do that aren't bringing you down, and the moment you think that or feel that someone's bringing you down or, or cutting you off from your potential, you know that's really when you have have to ask yourself like, why am I spending time with this person? Because you are who you associate with, and you know that's what I believe I've done so well since sixteen, seventeen is I just. Try to spend all my time, you know, in the gym, listening to podcasts, you know, watching content, reaching out to people, doing interviews, uh, people that just inspired me. And I was just living in this constant theme of, wow, that's possible. And let me just continue learning from them. So that's what I would say. But, you know, to sum it all up, you just have to get started and, and take that risk. No, you're, you're not going to do anything substantial unless you take a massive risk and do something that gets you out of your comfort zone. So
2: that's what I'd say. I've been waiting for a good answer to that question. I think I got it. So thank you for that. So yeah, just wrapping up, everybody that comes on the podcast, we ask them two questions. So these are the evergreen questions that Jack mentioned uh, on the pre-call. So the first question for you is, what are two to three pieces of content, whether that be books, videos, movies, film, really the world is your oyster with this question, um, that have really changed your perspective or your worldview?
1: So one, I'll give you the current one, something that I've read recently or watched recently, and then something that's been just like historically impactful for me. So currently, I'm reading a book called Discipline is Destiny by Ryan Holiday. It just came out, I think, two weeks ago, and very powerful. Um, like Ryan Holiday is one of my favorite authors, and his story of how he's learned from Robert Green, who is also one of my favorite authors, is just incredible and like how he breaks down discipline in a very uh, historical way. Very fascinating. So that's one piece of content that I love. Um, I'd say one piece of content that has that was very interesting and inspiring and just cool to consume was um, the, the Full Send podcast with Elon Musk. And I recently interviewed John Shahidi, the CEO of Happy Dad and Full Send, and I was having in my podcast just last week talking about you know like what was it like sitting down with Elon for three hours and I don't know if you guys have saw that it seen that interview but it's just such a it's such a dynamic shift of the type of content that you'd expect right like when you see the most powerful man and richest man in the world someone like Elon sitting down with uh, you know initially a, a group of YouTubers that started podcasts and very intelligent guys but it's just a very uh, organic conversation for three and a half hours. You just you you see a different light of someone like Elon that's willing to have a conversation like that. That I think outside of the content itself, you can learn so much um, from just that piece of content and how they broke it down. And then I think historically, one book that I I love that I, I try to read every month is called the Spiritual The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And I literally like this book is from 2017 and i have notes in this book like writing to myself when i was 17 and i just read it again once a month maybe every two months and just add notes and it's starting to just get filled with little notes over a five six year period and i think that just some of the 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 laws of success that deep rock talks about um are beyond powerful and and i recommend everyone reading the book if they haven't already and it's super short and and easy to consume
0: Awesome. The last question we have for you today, Casey, is if if you could go back and give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be?
1: My advice that I'd give to my teenage self would just be: don't ever think, get started and follow follow your gut, because I believe a lot of teenagers, right? Not even just from a business standpoint, but from sports from dating from college from anything if you do something and you instantly feel regret you know that was the wrong decision right like we've all had decisions in life whether that's ordering a meal at a restaurant and the moment you order it like, oh, I wish I got the other one right follow your gut do th- do things that are aligned with you um, and just get started literally the people that create success in life are people that don't just overthink everything, but people that execute, learn through the, the failures, and just get started. So that's what I would say. And, you know, in today's day and age, there's so many resources out there to help you along the way with all of the incredible content out there. So, you know, just make sure you're, you're taking in great information and, and don't hesitate to just get started with something that you enjoy doing.
0: Casey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate you giving up uh, your valuable time to speak with us today. It's been a long time coming.
1: Of course. Thanks so much for having me on, guys.
0: All right. That's it for today's episode of the Project Alchemy Podcast. As always, guys, peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Project Alchemy Podcast. We hope you can implement some of Casey's lessons into your own life. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and look at our many others in our catalog. We look forward to chatting with
2: you soon.